Okay, good evening. Uh, last week, we're continuing the series of Pirkei Avot. Last week, we finished the fifth chapter completely. And today, we're starting the sixth chapter, and it's the last one. It should take two to three lectures to finish it, maybe, maybe more or less. We'll see as we go. Uh, the last thing we finished last week, the last subject was that the reward is based is the reward is based on the efforts of the person every person has different difficulties on keeping mitzvot some mitzvot is easy for Uven and it's very difficult for Shimon and it's the other way around in general you should know this world is like a like a choir like an orchestra there's many, many uh, musicians that they play their instruments. And there's one conductor, and he wrote the music for each one of the musicians. And he, he can tell the best which one does his job, which one doesn't do his job. But everyone has his own role in, a, in the music. You know, nobody can do if, if If the violin guy will do something else, he's not going to do his job. Everyone has his own... Uh, obligation, his own uh, life is designed based, uh, based on the way Hashem wanted it to be. Therefore, there's no point of uh, jealousy. You should be jealous with somebody else. I wish I was him. I wish I had what he had. There's nothing to do one with the other. Your job is this, and this is how you're going to gain your reward. And plus, you should know that uh, every person has different Yetzirah than the other. That's why there's no way to compare between people. It's very difficult to compare. So that's where we finish, Lefum Tzara Agra. And today we're starting the first, uh, the sixth chapter. And this is how it starts. Shanu Chachamim Belshon HaMishnah, Baruch Shebachar Bahem Uvemishnatam. It starts like this. It says like this. Uh, this in general, this... Uh, it's include brightot. What does it mean brightot? In Torah uh, Shebealpeh, in the Oral Torah, you have Mishnah, Mishnayot, Mishnah, and you have Brayta. What's Brayta? Brayta, it's Mishnayot that were not generally included in the Talmud. When Rabbi Udana Sirot, the Mishnah, he collected all the best Mishnayot that were presented in the best way by the most important rabbis, and he collected them into one thing, which we, which we call the Mishnah. But some of the Mishnayot that were not included, they were left out, they're called Braitot. Braita comes from the Arabic word Bara. Bara means outside, you know? So that's why they call Braita. Uh, here we see that uh, in Pirkei Avot, some of these Braitot were also included. Let's give an, let's give an example of what's this perek, what this chapter is going to talk about. Mainly about the importance of the Torah, how do you gain Torah, what's the secret for a Jew to be able to be knowledgeable in Torah, in what's the most recommended way to gain knowledge. All these topics are going to be included in this chapter. Uh, Rabbi Meir says, there are two levels of learners. People who learn just because they're afraid of the punishment. And they know that the same way to learn Torah is the biggest reward. Not to learn Torah is the worst punishment. Therefore, they don't want to take risk. 
They don't want one day to be, uh, to be punished, and they learn, they force themselves to learn. Or they learn because they want to get a good shiduch. They know if I won't learn, no serious girls will want me. Because in a Jewish world, the most important thing in a kosher Jewish world, not in a fake Jewish world, in a real kosher world, Jewish world, 99% of marriage is decided by the guy on his knowledge in Torah. It's the most important thing. Uh, if he knows a lot of Torah, all the other things are not so important, which means if he's rich or poor or handsome or not so handsome, his family is the greatest or not, that doesn't matter so much. Why? Because he's a diamond. Diamond, you don't argue, you take it. The problem begins when he doesn't have so much knowledge in Torah. Then you, you emphasize, you put your highlight on other things, who are his parents and other things. One other thing is very important also, it's his manners, his midot, his traits. But usually, usually, you can say easily that 90% of the time, someone who learns Torah for real, and his manners and his uh, traits are usually very good. Because even if he was born with bad ones, eventually over the years, slowly, slowly adjusted and he corrected all his per- bad traits and became a, a good person. There's always an exception to the rule, unfortunately. But if somebody learns Torah and stay corrupted, that means something is very fishy here. Either he really not learning or the traits were so bad that even though he learned Torah, he corrected some of it, but it was so bad to begin with that it still has a long way to go. One of the two. Uh, like I said, bad traits and uh, negative personality, it's like an infection. And the Torah is the antibiotic for the infection. If the infection is huge, you need a lot of antibiotics. There's nothing you can do for a longer period of time. Uh, so there are people who learn Torah, to, get, to make money. They know one day I'm going to be a big hacham, I'll write books, everyone will buy my books. They invite me here to speak, they invite me there to speak, then I have my own yeshiva and I have my synagogue and people will give money and I live comfortably and it's very good. I'm not going to have to go kill myself working in a field, being a farmer, you know. So that's one, one reason why he decided that he has to learn Torah. Some people learn Torah because they love it. They enjoy from it. It's great. It's real fun. If you get used to it, it's like drugs. You cannot leave it for a minute. But all these reasons that I mentioned are not good. What's the real reason to learn Torah? Because it makes Hashem happy. That's the goal. That's the ultimate highest level. If uh, you reached in your life a level that you want to learn Torah, why? Because you know it's in Hebrew, it's Nasot Nachat Ruach Leotzrenu, to make a great feeling, great uh, uh, joy and, and pleasure to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that his children sitting and learning his Torah. And if you do it just because he wanted, therefore it doesn't matter any kind of Torah you're going to learn. Whether you enjoy, whether it's not, not everybody enjoyed all parts of the Torah equally. Right? Some, some people love Chumash. They love the stories of the Chumash. Very nice. But Gemara, it's very difficult for them. They have to work so hard with the brain. It's really like a, it's a hard work for them. So they try to avoid it. 
Somebody who learns to make Hashem happy, anything is going to learn, whether he enjoy or not. It doesn't matter, as long as I make him happy. I didn't come to make myself happy. I came to make him happy. So what do you want? I know you like me to learn Gemara. It's the highest level of learning. Let me try to learn Gemara. So that's called Limud Torah Lishma. Lishem Shamaim. That's what it means, Lishma. So Chazal taught us also a secret that if a person, obviously in the beginning, he doesn't get to that level that quick, but if he's, he's going to invest and train himself and do it again and again and again, eventually for sure, is going to reach that level of learning Torah, Lishma. Mitoch shelo Lishma ba Lishma. If you start not for the sake of heaven, one day for sure you'll get to that level that you do it for the sake of heaven. So that's a very good thing. Kol ha'osek ba Torah Lishma, what's his reward? Someone who learns Torah Lishma. Zochel edvarim arbe. What does it mean, Zochel edvarim arbe? He gets many different rewards. Many, not one reward, many different rewards. The Mishnah continues, and not only that, What does it mean? The whole world, it's worth for Hashem to keep the entire world only for Him alone. If you have now today 6.4 billion people, let's say all of them became wicked, and there's one person who is in this level that he sits and learns Torah in his room somewhere alone. He's the only tzaddik in the whole world. Like in the time of Avraham Avinu, how it started, was only very few tzaddikim in the world, not that many. Or even Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, when he came out of the, the cave after 13 years, him and his son, they learned with the Malach, they wrote the Zohar, the Kabbalah. So he told his son, it's worth it for Akash Baruch Hu to keep the whole world just for you and me, for the Torah that we are learning in such level. It's worth it for him to keep the whole world just for both of us. All the other is not so important anymore. When you have such a, such a thing in the world, it's a very, very heavy thing. It's a very important thing. It's worth it for Hashem to run the whole world just for him alone. Hashem called him my friend. Interesting. Ahuv, my lover, I love him. He is considered a lover of Hashem. His title in Shamaim, this guy is a lover of Hashem. Also, Oevet Abriot, not only he loves, he loves Hashem, he also loves all the people around him, automatically. It's affecting him to such level that he's going to get to this level that he loves every person. He will show them the right way. He will bring them closer to Hashem, closer to the Torah. He makes Hashem very happy. Everyone who knows him are proud to be his friend. Wow, how lucky that I have this guy as my friend or my rav or whatever it is. Malbishto automatically becomes humbled. He gets this chut. And he's fearful, it's needless to say, yes, fear from Hashem, fear and respect. Machsharto liot tzaddik vechasid veyashar veneeman. He becomes a chassid, it's the highest level of righteous person, tzaddik, and uh, honest and decent and faithful. Look how many things he gets in his life. It makes him far away from the scene, to go far away from the scene, gives him lots of merit. He always will have the best advices for people because the spirit of Hashem is on him. He will develop his wisdom to the highest level. He will be a real hero. 
in his life. He becomes a king, eventually he goes higher to the head, to the top of the pyramid. And he starts getting the secrets of the Torah, which means Kabbalah. The example for that was the Vilna Gaon. When he was nine years old already, he went to such a high level that the angels were begging him to teach him the secret of the Kabbalah. And he said, no, I have my time to get to it by myself. I don't want you to teach me, to serve it to me. The Gaon Vilna, nine years old, what he reached in few years that he was sitting and learning Torah since he went to kindergarten in six years or five years that he learned, it's more than a person learns in a hundred years today. Such a level of a person, he was a genius to begin with, but a serious genius that took advantage on his wisdom to do the right thing. So, Megalim Lorazei Torah, the angels comes and teach him the secrets of the Torah from Shamaim. Raz means a secret in Hebrew. Yeah, what we say, Sod Hashem Lireav, the secrets of Hashem to those who are fear, fearful from Him and, and, and faithful to Him. He becomes like a spring water, like a spring that keeps coming up and there's no end to his knowledge, to his wisdom. He never stops. He's very humbled, lots of patience, he's down to earth. Very easy to forgive if somebody did something bad to him. He has no ego whatsoever. And he becomes the perfect human being. For what mitzvah? Many people learn Torah. You know, more than 100,000 people who learn Torah. How many of them got to this level? Why? Because to learn L'Shem Shamayim, Lishma, it's the highest level of learning. The highest level of learning. Okay, so this is the first Mishnah. Amar Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi won one of, one of the greatest Amoras in Eretz Israel. And uh, it was right when the generation of the Tanaim ended, the generation of the Amoraim came right after. So he's the first generation of the Amoraim after the Tanaim. So his level is very close to the Tanaim. The Tanaim, the, the ones who wrote the Mishnayot. And right after that came another generation of the Amoraim who translated the Mishnayot to more simple understanding. Because it was very difficult for the people to understand because it's very deep, the Mishnah. So he was the beginning of the Amoraim, which is very close to the Tanaim. That's why he was on a very high level. And this is what he says. Every day you have an echo, an announcement coming from Mount Sinai, where, the, where Mount Sinai is in a desert somewhere around Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Israel, somewhere in between there, Mount Sinai. The echo, the announcement is, Oy lahem labriot me'elbona shel Torah. What a shame to the people, to the public, for insulting the Torah. Which means... There is an announcement in the Middle East, somewhere in the desert, where Har Sinai is, the Mount Sinai. For every Jew who doesn't take the Torah serious, he learns when there is a shiur right across the street. Once in a while, no, he'll, he'll do a favor. He'll cross the street and go to learn. He won't give anything from his time. Even when he sits in a car, he listens to the lousy ten-ten news. He has an opportunity to take CDs and at least learn something while he's driving to work and coming back. That could be right there, two, three hours of learning. 
What is he listening to? Music, news, uh, speaking about all kinds of nonsense, all kinds of clowns, comedy. There's no end to how much, how much regret people will have when they see what they could have and what did they do. When they see all this nonsense that I was listening to in my car while I was on the road, and as a matter of fact, I could have taken advantage on this time. It's time, it's time that is gone from our life. Every day, two, three hours, people who drive, salespeople, lots on. I don't say that they have to make phone calls to make work, to make appointments. It's a different story. They're working. It's like sitting in the office. But in between, there's dead time. How much a person can earn in this time? A treasure. But people act like fools. They don't take advantage on the time. So somebody like this, the announcement includes him in it. Oy laim labriot. Oy laim labriot. Bad call. What does it mean, bad call? An echo, an announcement. But we don't hear it. If we're going to stand right now in Mount Sinai, we won't hear it. It's a spiritual announcement that falls directly from heaven. When a generation, when the prophecy ended, the bad call started. Up to close to 2,000 years ago, Hashem still had prophets. Come to a prophet, he gives him a message, and he comes to the people and says the message. Once there's nobody deserves to be a prophet anymore, nobody, the prophecy is still coming down. The announcement is still coming down. Nobody gets it. But it's there. So Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi teaching us this secret that this bad call comes and basically to say how people, by not taking the Torah serious, actually insulting the Torah. One other way to insult the Torah is the Torah is on the shelves in your room, in your house, and you never, you never open it. You never read it. You never learn. Nothing. So that's the way that's called Ilabon la'alif means to insult. Someone who doesn't sit and learn Torah, Nikra Nazuf. Nazuf means that your boss is calling you for a meeting, and in that meeting he gives you like a warning. Not really a warning. He tells you, I just called you to tell you how disappointed I am from you, from your work, from your behaving. So that's everybody understand that this kind of meeting is one meeting before the next meeting, which will be get out of here for good. It's called Nazuf in Hebrew. Nazuf means that you already have a bad mark in your file. Wake up before it's too late. Sheneemar nezem za'av be'af chazir, isha yafa v'saratam. The Pasuk in Mishlei, in Mishlei 11, verse 22, this is what it says. Imagine if you have a pig, and you take a beautiful ring and put it in his nose. In the old days, you used to put jewels in the nose, not only in the ears, also in the nose. Like a, like a round, like a, it looks like a ring. It's called Nezem. So it says, it says like this, Adam Shiodea Torah, a person that knows the value of the Torah and neglect it, doesn't care, doesn't learn, what is it like? It's like a pig that has a very precious jewel in his nose, and what does the pig knows? What does the pig does with his nose all the time? Push it into 
into the garbage, into the, 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 the bathroom. Anything he sees, he eats. But first he comes and smells, and then he begins to eat. So putting the gold inside the bathroom, inside all the waste, it's like a person that has the Torah and doesn't open and learn it. This is like an analogy. And the Ten Commandments, the boards that we got, it's the hand of Hashem. It's a, it's a letter from Hashem to the Jewish nation. Ucharut al-aluchot. Chazal said there's a secret here. Charut and cherut sounds the same. What's the difference between charut and cherut? Charut means when you write something, you engrave something in a marble. That's it. It's writing. It's a permanent writing. Nobody can erase it. It's so charut. It's what I just said. And cherut means freedom. So the secret here, why they use this word to hint to you that everyone who sits and learns Torah every day, he is a free person. He's not a slave of his desires and his evil inclination, because all of us almost are, are slaves and servants of our evil inclination. I want food, I want this, I want that, I don't want this. But a person that learns a lot of Torah, he released himself from these cords of the evil inclination that doesn't let him live. Only push him always to the negative side. He's free. It's like taking off his handcuffs. Oh, I want to go and learn. I want to mitzv- go and do mitzvot. I want to wake up early in the morning to pray. I want to pray like a real Jew. All these things the Yetzirah doesn't let. Learning Torah releases you from these cords and this, this kind of arrest that the evil inclination puts you in. Someone... It's, we're going into the third Mishnah now. Someone who learns from his friend one chapter. One chapter. Or even one halacha. One law. He told him how to do netilat yadayim. He told him how to pray. He told him uh, certain things about the holiday. It could be anything. Halacha. Even one verse from the Torah. He asked him, what does it mean, this verse? And he explained to him what it means. Even one word from the Torah. He asked him, what this word means? And he told him the meaning. Even one letter. He told him, why there is a Vav here? Hashem could have write it without the Vav. It would be the same meaning. He said, no, no, the Vav come to teach you that there is an extra halacha here. That's, it. That's all he told him. Right away, you are obligated to give him respect. You are obligated. What's the difference before he taught you that word to after? Before he taught you that word, you have to give respect to every person. But that's manners. It's not an obligation, it's manners. This is the way the world is. Right now, you are obligated. What is the difference is that if, in case you don't give him respect, your punishment is much worse than before. Before, not giving respect to people, obviously it's the wrong thing to do. But right now, it's already falling into ungratefulness. Why? Because he taught you one word of Torah. Needless to say, he taught you the whole Talmud. Or everything that you do is thanks to him. <laughs> then when you see him, you have to bow down to him. When he talks, you have to be quiet. When he needs help, you have to take a plane and run 
to help him or anything like this. This is already the, the minimum that you owe him because like the, the Allah says that if your father is in jail and your rabbi is in jail and there's money only to redeem one of them, your rabbi comes first. If you find the wallet of your father or the wallet of your rabbi, you found them, who do you have to return first? To your rabbi first. So they ask why, why? His father. Because his father brought him to this world which is temporary. But his rabbi bringing him to life of eternity. It's a much higher level. He owes him a lot more to what he owes to his father. So he has to give much bigger respect to his rabbi than, than what he owes to his father. And most people don't know it. They know it. They don't know it. Then we continue and says like this. Sheken Matzinu David HaMelech. We're learning it among many different ways to learn it. One of the ways to learn it is with, from King David. That he learned from Achitofel. Achitofel was a person who knows a lot of Torah in his generation. And he learned two things from him. That's it. Two things he learned from Achitofel. And right away, David Amelech called him Rabbi Alufi Meyudai. My champion, my, the knowledgeable guy, my rabbi. What do you mean the rabbi? You ask him two questions in your life, he became your rabbi? David Amelech. Yeah? What did David HaMelech learn from him? He learned from him, one time in one of the lectures I explained that when David HaMelech wanted to build Bet HaMikdash, Hashem said, your, your hands spilled too much blood in a war, even though it was the right thing to do, because you went to war. But since anyway you killed people, you cannot build my Bet HaMikdash. It has to be completely pure. So your son, Shlomo, will do it. So he asked, at least can I prepare the foundations? And Hashem said, yes, you can prepare the foundation to make the place. While he was preparing it, it was a big rock, and he wanted to move the rock, and people told him, be careful, if you move this rock, waters, spring water starting to come, and it'll flood the entire city of Yerushalayim. You gotta be careful, it's a disaster. He didn't take them serious. He moved the rock and the water started to come out. It's floods all over and it's keep coming and coming. I didn't know what to do. He got very nervous. Oh, it's going to be a disaster. It's going to wipe out the whole city. So he asked, I want to write the name of Hashem, he says. 72 letters on a cloth, like a mezuzah. It's a special name, long name. Combination. I want to write it and throw it into the water. And I know it's going to bring all the water down. But the problem is the name of Hashem will be erased. And it's a serious sin to erase the name of Hashem. So uh, am I allowed to do such a thing or not? So nobody answered. So he felt that this Achitofel know the answer, but he doesn't want to say. Why? He wants people to rebel against King David, and he will take his place. Because he's a very big uh, Chacham, you know, he knows a lot of Torah. So it's natural that the people, he has a chance to take his place. So he's not saying anything. He's smart, but wicked also. And one of the people, the Gemara said, that in the end he lost his share to the world to come, even though he knew the whole Torah by heart. It didn't help him. He lost his share to the world to come. So anyway, he said, David HaMelech knew that he knows. So he said, someone who knows the answer and doesn't come to tell me, I'm putting a curse on him. He got nervous, because he knew he's a tzaddik. So right away he told him, yes, you can do it. Why? If a husband suspects his wife for being in a room with another man uh, after he won her and she went and did it anyway and he doesn't know if he can be with her anymore again he doesn't know so they have to go to the Kohen in Bet HaMikdash 
And the Kohen writes the name of Hashem and puts it in a, in a water and the ink goes into the water and she drinks the water, the Torah says. If she cheated, her wound explodes and she falls and dies immediately. And if she didn't, the people who made her bad reputation, they are going to pay the price. And the Kohen Agadol gives her a blessing that all her children will be holy kids. And this blessing always comes through because it's the most important person in the world. So this is it. So he said, if to make peace between her husband and wife, Hashem agreed to erase his name to save the whole country, it's needless to say, it's Kalva Homer. You don't have to be a genius to know it. So right away he wrote the name, he threw it into the water, all the water came down, but they came down even lower than before. Too much. Now you have to bring them back up. It's too, he went too deep in the ground. That's when he made up the 15 Shir Lamaalot that we have in Teilim. Shir Lamaalot, we have 15. Shir Lamaalot, Shir Lamaalot, 15 chapters of Shir Lamaalot. Every chapter he made with Ruach HaKodesh, with his prophecy, the water came up, a thousand Amah. 500 yards. He came up from under the ground. He went so deep inside. It was coming higher and higher and higher until the water leveled. So he learned this halacha from him, and from that he was calling him my rab, my rabbi. You know, so this is just an example from one halacha how much respect you ought to give a person. Then the, the Mishnah continue. It says like this. Lekach ki lekach tov natati lachem torati al ta'azovu. Lekach, lekach means, if you have an analogy, a story, it comes to teach us a message. The message that you learn from the story, from what just happened, the lesson that you get out of it, it's called lekach. Lekach tov means a good lesson, a good message you learn from what I just told you. Ki lekach tov natati lachem, Hashem say, what is the lekach that I gave you? Torati al ta'azovu. Do not, do not leave my Torah. Don't leave my Torah. Stick to my Torah all the time. Thanks to that, everything you do is going to be blessed. Ki lekach tov natati lachem. Torati al ta'azovu. We're continuing the, the next Mishnah, Mishnah 4. Kachi darkashel Torah. This is the way of the Torah. This is a very famous classic Mishnah. Everybody used it in the yeshivot, to show the students how, how much efforts you have to put in your life to be able to know Torah. And this is it. Pat b'melech tochal. No sushi, no pizza, no Chinese, no ashpolo, no lamb, no this, no that. You want to be a talmid chacham? Get to a level that if they serve you every day a piece of hard bread with some salt, you are happy. Let me eat two minutes, not to waste time. Let me eat and go right back to my learning. Now that you have to live like this all your life, don't get the wrong message. The Torah didn't force us to eat bread and salt all the time. Yeah? But if you get to that level, it, shouldn't, it should not make you upset. You feel comfortable with that. You're perfectly fine. Which means... You don't have desires like a crazy person, like 99% of the people out there, that the saliva is dripping when they see food, they're ready to kill for it. Like, the best example is the weddings. I don't get to go to weddings almost ever, maybe once or twice a year. I don't have time for weddings, but the once or twice that I go, 
I always like to check what happened when they bring the dessert. And there's always somebody that sits next to me. I tell them, now you wait and see what's going to happen. People are dancing, people standing, they're talking. As soon as the waiter opens the table of the dessert in a corner, I tell my whoever sits by me, give it two, three minutes, you see how everybody goes to the wall there. He <laughs> said, how do you know? So you wait and see. Soon as the cream cakes come, all these foods and coffee and whatever, like they never saw desserts. Everybody like a lion, ready to kill. And now people push. Excuse me, he tried to get a plate from the right, from the left. Wait a minute, I was here first. Sometimes it ended up with stabbing. <laughs> Maybe the piece of meat that I'll get will be a little bit smaller. <laughs> Two people went to a meal. They were invited to somebody for rabbi for Shabbos. One was a, what we call in Hebrew an ars. An ars means a low life. That's really the right word, a low life. And the other one it was an academic, I don't know, like somebody from the college, supposedly has nice manners. So they're both sitting now. The rabbi gave food to his children, to his wife, and to the other guests. Now two pieces of chicken left in a plate. One big, one small. So they're both holding their fork, and they're looking at each other, who's going to take the big piece and who's going to take the small piece. So the gentleman is waiting for the arse to take first. So of course, what's the arse going to do? He takes the big piece. So I told him, shame on you. Why are you taking the big piece? Don't you have manners? So he said, what is your problem? He said, if I would be you, I would only take the small piece and leave the big piece to the other guest. He said, oh, you would take the small piece? So here it is, take it. <laughs> Not only a mouse, a fool also. <laughs> Finally, try to teach him manners, he doesn't even understand. So anyway, my friend, don't ever worry what to eat. Whatever your wife put on the table, just eat. Don't ever make comments. One rabbi, his wife was making him tea. He was drinking the tea every morning and ran to the yeshiva. One time he left a little bit from the tea. She was thirsty. She came to finish the cup. Salty tea. She's been putting for months salt instead of sugar in the tea. He didn't even tell her, not to upset her. He drank the tea with salt and go to, go to the yeshiva. You understand? Ah, big deal, salt. Uh, uh, Rabbi, I don't eat frozen. You know, in our house we don't eat frozen. Only fresh. Who are you? Who are you? In five, ten years the worms will eat you. <laughs> Where are you going to be? The worms, the, the snakes, they, they eat you for good breakfast. Fresh, not frozen. What is this nonsense? I don't eat frozen, we don't eat this, I only eat whole wheat. Uh, we only eat here. <laughs> we had a seminar this Shabbat. So, you know, uh, uh, seminar, you know, you, you give lectures, you, you, give, you serve nice food, everything is fine. So we had two American kids that just came with one of the visitors. They just joined there for the weekend. But they come from a very rich house. They couldn't eat anything. Nothing is organic. They don't eat this, they don't eat that. This one is not for them. They're waiting for this. Will they deserve this? Will they serve this? Will they serve? 
I see them all the day serving one dish after the other. They cannot eat anything. They, their parents train them in such a way that if you're not rich, you're finished. You're not going to be able to do anything. Because everything by them is special. We eat only this. We don't eat. If something left, goes to the garbage. It could be a thousand dollars value of a meat. Goes to the garbage. No problem. Why? I'm not freezing anything. We don't freeze. This is how it goes. Pad Bamelach Tochal. You know, one of the biggest Chachamim, I told you a few times in the past, his name was Rav Ben-Zion Abba Shaul, the biggest Faradi rabbi in the world until 12 years ago when he passed away. You know what he was eating every day in yeshiva? He didn't want to waste time, go home to sit and eat lunch. This, Take a piece of bread, dip it in a black coffee, and eat it. Once in a while, he had also a tomato with that. That's a treat. Bread from three, four days ago, he opens the bag, takes two pieces of bread, put them inside the coffee to make it a little bit softer, he eats it, and eats some tomatoes, that's it, just not to starve. And all day sits and learn. Today, let's take my car and go eat lunch. Bachur Yeshiva is worried about where is he going to go for lunch. Like this, you'll never become a Talmud Chacham. That's a solid rule. If the food is a prime thing in your life, you live for it, you live to eat and not eat to live, don't expect to become somebody important. Why? You're on the level of an animal. The animals also come. You see the dog, when he comes to the garbage bags, he rips them, he moves his tail, the saliva is dripping, he tries from here, he tries from here, he tries from there, he moves his tail like he won the lottery. If you're like a dog, you're a dog. Now you cannot be a chacham, a holy person. It's either you are this or you are this. One of the things that prevent you from being holy is being addicted to food. I once went with a guy, he wanted to meet with, with me, he had a personal problem. So he said, let's meet in this restaurant, somewhere in Union Turnpike. There's a fancy big restaurant. It was late at night, quiet. So he wants to meet with me. So I went there, I, I saw him already waiting in a table. I sit there, he, he ordered steak. Five or six times, he sent the waiter back and forth with his steak. First, he wasn't cooked enough. Then it was overcooked when he brought it back. So make me a new steak. Then the, uh, he asked for the black pepper, so he brought him a regular black pepper. He said, no, no, I don't want this. I want the one that you grind. <laughs> Maybe five, six, I couldn't help it anymore. I said, what's with you now? This is like the most important thing in your life, the steak. Just eat the steak and finish. It's only anyway 30 seconds of pleasure. What is it? How, how long do you enjoy from it? Just push it into the stomach and get it over with. No, no. You know how people sometimes three hours prepare the meal, putting flowers, putting this, bringing that, making all kinds. What for? Soon it's going to be in the bathroom, in the garbage. Ma? Pat ba'melach tochal. Umayim ba'mesorat ishte. Mesora means a little bit water, it's also fine. Nothing, nothing special, no cranberry juice and orange juice and this juice and this cola and that thing. I don't care about this thing. I have a little water to survive, it's good enough. No, what else? tishan. You're ready to sleep on the floor, even there's no mattress. <laughs> You need to sleep on the floor. You sleep on the floor. 
You sleep on the floor. I'll tell you a story. If Levi will give me some air, then I'll tell you a story. Today there's a strike, huh? Levi, a little wind. Oh, After speaking non-stop in a weekend, my voice is not back to normal yet. In hotel in New Jersey. Okay, so... Rav Shach, I told you once a story that he walked with his shoes for one week to go back to the yeshiva. And Rav Iser Zalman Meltzer bought the shoes from him and gave it to his grandchildren. And today it's in a wall unit in Lakewood. Those legendary shoes that he walked a week to come to learn Torah. And then he became Rav Shach, the head of the religious world all over the world, the biggest rabbi in the world. So Rav Shach, when he was young, when he was in high school age, his uncle asked him to... To, he sent him a letter, he said that he's very old, he doesn't have kids, and he wants him to come, that he will teach him how to run the factory. His uncle had a big factory, and he wants him to be in charge, because he's getting old, he's not going to be able to work there forever, so obviously he's going to be very rich. You come to the factory, you become the boss, we'll teach you the job, you have all the employees, you're set for life, your uncle. So he started to think, I'm suffering here so much. He was a kid. I don't have a mattress. The yeshiva had X amount of mattresses, not like today. Every poor yeshiva still have beds. I always say poor people today compared to 100 years ago, they're rich. Take a poor person the way he lives today, put him 100 years ago, he's considered a very wealthy guy. He has an apartment of his own, drives a car. A hundred years ago, they had a little lousy donkey, 500 years old. The donkey from Avraham Avinu's time, still riding it. What? You know how hard it is to walk? There's no bathroom. person wants to go to the bathroom, he has to go in the middle of the night in the bushes. No, no, no toilet paper, no tissues, no light. Snakes are crawling, you hear them at two o'clock at night. Freezing, snow. Think about the life. Mamash like dogs. There he comes to his bathroom, he sees himself ten, ti- ten times, one from the right, one from the left, the mirror here, the mirror there, uh, a special uh, a screen over there, air condition, beautiful. Rabbi, we're very poor. <laughs> Fifteen TVs in his house. <laughs> Vacation, but no money to pay for his children to yeshiva. But he has a lot of money for the televisions, for the cables, for 5,000 channels, for that he has money. Rabbi, it's a necessity. You can't live without it. So anyway, so Rav Shach doesn't have a mattress. Why? The yeshiva have X amount of mattresses, and only the people who are older, they get a mattress. The young kids, yeah, you sleep on the floor, Habibi. There's nothing else. So I sleep on the floor, winter, the floor is freezing. It's not like here, wood. floor is from, from stone, like in Israel. So it's, 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 they freeze on the floor, and it's not comfortable, the back hurts, then you're tired all day. No, he sleeps on the floor. So when he got that letter, the Yetzer Hara, the Yetzer Hara, 
the Yetzer Ara, gun him and say, Eliezer, what do you need this life? Go, you have a beautiful room, you eat normal, be a businessman, and you learn, you learn before or after work, what? So that's the story Rav Shach said when he was a very old man. When did he say that story? When? One time in the middle of the learning in yeshiva, he was the Rosh Yeshiva Ponovich. He said to one of the students, you want to go with me to a funeral of a woman? He said, Rabbi, it's worth it to leave the Torah now and go to a funeral? He said, yeah, it's very special to me. It was pouring rain, mabul, flood, pouring rain, heavy rain, cold day. He took an umbrella, the other guy in Arab. They went with the car, they got to the cemetery. Heavy rain. What can you do? Funeral. He sees that he goes there, he reads Kaddish for her. Rabbi, you know this woman? Who is this woman? So he said to him, all the Torah that I have in my life, I owe to this woman. And believe me, he learned more than 80 years after that incident when his uncle sent him the letter, 80 years after. So he told him, why, why, how come we never heard of this woman? Who is she for you? She's your aunt, what? He said, no, a stranger. Just when I told the Rosh Yeshiva, tomorrow morning I'm leaving, I don't even have a mattress here, my uncle needs me in a business. I was ready to leave in the morning. I was all set up, my, everything packed. Before I went to sleep the last night in Yeshiva, this woman came carrying a mattress and she showed up to the Yeshiva and she said, my husband died and I have an extra mattress. I, don't, I didn't know what to do, so I decided maybe you need mattresses. I was standing outside, I said, yeah, I don't have a mattress, I sleep on the floor. So she said, here, you can have the mattress. So when I put the mattress in, I slept so well that night that in the morning I changed my mind. And I said, what reason I have to go now? I have finally have a mattress. What kid appreciate that he have a mattress? Yeah, they take it for granted, mattress, big deal. A mattress was a treasure. He had the mattress, he stayed in yeshiva, the rest is history. He put up thousands of students, they're all big rabbis today. This woman got lucky, because in life, Hashem pays you reward based on your efforts, based on your intention, based on how much money it cost you, but the main thing is based on what came out of your mitzvah. That's why you have to be very smart to know where to give your tzedakah to, to who. Sometimes you give your tzedakah to a huge organization, nothing comes out of it. It goes to this, and it goes to here, and it goes to there, and it goes to the building, and to the, to the cleaning guys, and to the this, to the electric. In the end, none of it comes to the cause. One, uh, one, one goy king had a war in Europe. Two, two countries are fighting. So he called all his advisors, among them one Jew, a religious Jew. And he said, I don't understand. What's going on in our treasury? We don't have money to buy a weapon to finish the war. We're losing the war because we don't have money. What's going on with the taxes? How come we so broke? So everybody tried to give an idea, tax more, tax this. So the Jews say, your majesty, there's a reason for it. So he said, what's the reason? He said, he was afraid to say it clearly. 
So he said, I'm going to tell you what's the reason. He asked the waiter, can you bring me a bowl of ice? So the waiter brings ice. So the Jew take a piece of ice, and now they're all sitting in a circle. The king sit there, and the Jew sit on the other side, and now the, the Jew say, your, your majesty, I'm giving you the ice, okay? So he tells the, the other advisor, here, take the ice, pass it to your friend, pass it to his friend, make a chain, until it gets to the hand of the king. So the Jew puts it in the eye of this guy, in the hand of this guy, he gave it to the next one, and by the time he got to the king, it was a little tiny piece. It melted in his hand, <laughs> nothing left. So the Jew said to the king, you got the point? So the king said, I got the point. The next day they started a clear investigation. They found that all these advisors are stealing. The money comes, a million dollars came to the account of the country, nobody looks, right away 200,000 he put in his pocket. Then he sets another phony things, he sends money there, send money, he makes supposedly there's expenses. By the time the money is supposed to go to the cause, there's nothing left. So the king got the point. It goes to too many ends. And everybody takes a little bit more from it until nothing is left. So that's how Rav Shach got saved from a mattress. And this woman got lucky. Because imagine if she gave the mattress to some homeless guys that drink on the street. Vodka one after the other. What would come out of this mattress? Two, three days later he will die anyway. Vomit while he's sleeping and choke from his alcoholism. And the mattress will become mud on the street, uh, you know, wet, goes to the garbage. No mitzvah, almost no mitzvah. That's it. So you have to also get lucky what's going to happen with your tzedakah. But it's not about luck, it's about Hashem's supervision. He directs every penny where it's going to go. You know, the Chafetz Chaim, in his time, in one of the yeshivot, they, they had collectors. And they sent one collector to collect money. So he was walking in with his legs from one house to the other, collecting money for the yeshiva. One time, one year, he showed up with a horse and a carriage. Imagine a collector for yeshiva, such and such, shows up with a beautiful Lexus outside. I came to collect money for our yeshiva. Right away, if you wanted to give him a thousand, you take a zero off. <laughs> Drive Alexis, you want money for the yeshiva. <laughs> That's the way people think. So when the, the rich guy used to give them a hundred thousand rubles every year, that was the main budget of the yeshiva, and everything else to close some gaps here and there, you know? But that was like the foundation. The guy showed up, the rich guy looks from his window, I see he comes with a horse, two horses and a carriage. Psh, the yeshiva is doing very well. So he gave him 5,000 rubles. He wrote him a check, 5,000 rubles. He went to the, the Rosh Yeshiva. He said, this is what he gave me this year. The Rosh Yeshiva said, get in a horse. I'm coming with you directly to him. The rich man see after a few days, oh, the carriage comes back again, this time with the Rav. They go inside, the Rabbi say, no, what happened? What's different this year? We're not good anymore. We stop learning. We're not learning. We don't need money anymore. So Rabbi, I'll tell you the truth, I'm very careful how I give my tzedakah. All the years I saw your men come with a sack, dirty clothes, walking weeks from house to house, my heart was for him. I gave generously. Now he shows up with this carriage, 
It shows that you're doing well. There's other places, maybe they need the money more. So the rabbi told him, in Bet HaMikdash, everybody gave machatzit a shekel. Everyone, the rich, the poor, they collected all the coins. Some of the coins went to, to bring food for the horses. Some of it went to Kodesh HaKodashim, to the highest place in the world. How, how Hashem decided that the money that Reuven just gave will go to get straw for the horses, and the money that Shimon gave goes to the Kodesh HaKodashim. Ah, what's going on? Depend how you give. If you give because you really care and you want to help and it bothers you, so you give it with all your heart and you want to see results, Hashem directs your money to the right people. If you give only because they put pressure on you and you're embarrassed and because everybody else say and you're embarrassed not to say, so you also say, or, you, or they'll give you a gift in return, then it's not, a, that's not a, any level of tzedakah here. The lowest level. So he goes to the bathroom to buy toilet paper or to buy soap for the dishes. <laughs> you understand? So whatever in the end comes with your... Also, I always look at myself, at all these people who give me money for the CDs and I make the CDs and give out. I wish it would be a hundred times more because I had what to do with the money, but it comes very, very little. But the little that we have, you can already see that some batches have more blessing than the others. Like, let's say if I made a thousand and I use them in the next three, three days, you sometimes can see that with this batch, there's more blessing than with the previous batch. One time I had a guy, he wrote 1,500, that used to be in the time of the videotapes, before it was CDs. I don't know, maybe seven, eight years ago. It used to be videotapes. So... Well, this guy, I gave him a videotape. I showed him, you see what we give? It was still one dollar each, the videotapes. Pack, nice, beautiful printing, everything, one dollar videotape. So he said, okay, I want to give, I want to give. So I said, okay, how much you want to give? So he wrote a check, $1,500. So I, the videotapes is very difficult because every 50 is a big box. With a box like this, you can put uh, 2,000 CDs today. As far as room. It was a much harder work because everywhere I went to the lecture, I had to carry a big box and give videotapes out. But I gave one videotape to one guy. In my eyes, in my eyes, I saw that that tape made 17 Jews that were like Goim, made them fully, fully ultra-Orthodox. That tape, which was $1 from his $1,500. I don't know what's happened with all the other ones because they went to people. But that one I gave to somebody that I knew personally. Him, his wife, today they have three or four children. His brother and his wife, and they have two children. His sister and her husband and three children. His parents, 17 people, and it's going to grow to hundreds of religious people. So you see that that guy, Hashem, was happy from his, from his mitzvah. Somebody else may give. He may not be so lucky that how many people become religious. So in the end... You also get, not only based on how much you gave, what came out of your mitzvah. What came, I one time saw a singer, very famous religious singer, the Baal Tshuva, but a fake one. Fake one. He came to collect money with his producer. They made a whole dinner. They invited all kinds of people. 
they're collecting money, the next day, accidentally, somebody else that I know is telling me that he just came back from the weekend in Atlantic City, in a casino. <laughs> that guy went from Friday to Saturday. They went there Saturday, uh, Sunday morning. The dinner was Saturday night. Sunday morning they went to the casino. He saw them losing tons of money in a casino. <laughs> These two, they claim they don't have, they need money. Two crooks, they took all the money and went to the casino and lost all the money. You understand? So even that, the Gemara say uh, in Baba Kama, I think it's Rav, Rav Nachman, he says like this. He says, uh, it's based on uh, Navir Mia. The Navir Mia say to Hashem. The Prophet Irmiya, Jeremiah, he say to Hashem, Hashem, I'm begging you, if a person that doesn't deserve is not worthy of giving tzedakah, he doesn't give it with good heart, he has narrow eyes, stingy, he's arrogant, after he gives, he continues to talk Lashonara, why I gave. People like this, finally, finally, when they decide to give, I'm begging you, send them a crook to take away their tzedakah. Believe me, if the Prophet asks Hashem, I promise you this will happen. Guarantee. Why? What do you think? You're doing somebody a favor? You're doing yourself a favor. You're not doing anybody a favor. Hashem said, finally you agree to give after so many beggings and trying and calling. What is this? Okay, so now you want to give? Okay, Mr. Crook number one, Mr. Crook number two, go to the street, number 19, third floor, apartment number five, go over there, somebody wants to give. That's how it goes, I promise you, 100%. So then continue. It says like this. So you sleep on the floor, Get ready to live life full of suffering. Never complain. It's good for you, don't worry. You kill yourself on the Torah. That's all you care about. You don't care about business, weather, sport, uh, shows, singers, CDs, cars, vacation, Pesach in Miami, Shavuot in Puerto Rico, uh, Rosh Hashanah in Cancun. Forget about this phony religious life. It's not real religion. You get close to Hashem, you don't want to go to these places. What do you think? I, t I promise you, you give me a free vacation in any place you can think of. In a suite of the king of Saudi Arabia, I don't know, whatever they have, their diamonds are falling from the ceiling, I don't even go there. I went to Boca Raton, I made a Shabbaton there, and they put me in the house of a very, very rich guy, very, very successful guy. You can see by his lifestyle, right away, that he's a, not millionaire, for sure billionaire. So we're speaking, we're talking, we get to know each other. You know, we walk to the shul over there. It's not a sauna, it's, it's Gehenom in this world, the weather. Gee, what the weather. So he asked me, so every Shabbos I go with a bicycle. I can't take this suffering, going 20 minutes to the shul, and this is it. Slowly, slowly, I convinced him that, <laughs> walk, walk with me, don't let me walk alone. I don't know the direction, nothing. So he didn't have a choice. We walked together. Baruch Hashem, Hashem had mercy on us. All of a sudden, breeze started to come. So he said, I never had breeze here all this time. I go with the bicycle. It's killing here. So we walk. So, so in the middle, he's telling me, why don't you relax a little bit? You kill yourself. You are. Because I told him I just come from here and I go next. We're there. I'm telling him about the activity a little bit. 
Why don't you relax? Take a week off. Go on vacations. I started to laugh. So he said, well, why are you laughing? I say, 16 years I didn't go on vacation. Now I'm going to go on vacation. 16 years you don't go on vacation because this is a guy who every two, three weeks goes on vacation. <laughs> so I say, so 16 years you don't go Ma, and your wife still married to you? 16 years? I say, no, for us it's a, it's a punishment vacation. He say, what are you talking about? Let me treat you, please. I have my captain of my yacht. Take you and your wife. He'll take you in my boat to the Bahamas. To here. He's telling me all kinds of islands. I don't know. You're going to have the best month of your life. You'll be on a boat. He'll take you anywhere you want. Food on me. I pay everything. I even fly you here and I fly you back. <laughs> He's telling me. I say, no, no. For me, it's better. It's better you help the CDs. Donate some money for the CDs that we can give it to these guys. For me, it's better than vacation. To give me vacation... He has the merit, right? It's no, it's no mitzvah. What mitzvah is this vacation? I sit on a boat like a fool and look at the birds. Ma. What, what mitzvah you have here? But to save souls, Hashem said, wait a minute. He has to deserve it. Not everybody gets this, deser- this merit. I don't want to tell you the rest of the story. We'll keep it with a question mark. You know? So, you understand the point here or no? Pleasure. Yeah, so this is how it goes. Pleasure, the Yetzirah, push you to give. But for other things, forget about it. So what is the Mishnah saying? It says like this. It says like this. Batorah Ta'amel, you put all your efforts in the learning. Ve'im atau second, and if you are living according to the list that I just said, Ashrecha ve'tov lach. You are a very lucky person, and you have the real ultimate good. Ashrecha ba'olam hazeh, Ashrecha ba'olam you lucky in this world, utov lach la'olam haba, and the real good is waiting for you to the world to come. Never request any honor to yourself. Never be jealous with the honors of your friends. Just focus on your learning. Don't ever be jealous with the kings. The kings. Not just a wealthy guy from across the street or your uncle. No. Don't ever be jealous with the kings. Because your table is much greater than their table. Their table have fish eggs, caviar, beautiful red wine. Rabbi, this this bottle I bought it, special red wine, $1,500 a bottle. I got 20 of them. Who cares? Drink it two minutes, it's over. Why are you getting so excited? C- can I show you? I'm a collector of watches. Open the safe, 15 watches, each one's 50,000 and up. Souls are sleeping inside the safe. Souls are dead over there. Take it, make something with that. Eh. Once in a while, when I got to here, I put that watch. And I go, he thinks like he's a model or something. So Hashem said, wait a minute, my friend. You jealous with the kings? The table that you have is an eternal table. It's forever. He has only here 10, 20 years and it's over. Don't ever be jealous with their crown. The crown of the king, you know, the crowns, they have special rubies and all kinds of of things. Because your crown is much greater than theirs. The keter of the Torah is greater than the keter of the king. 
It's better than the crown of the Kohen, even the Kohen Gadol, because you have Torah. It's better, even if Chas Shalom you are a mamzer, an illegitimate boy, that you cannot marry anybody besides somebody that he has the same status like you, but you gain so much knowledge in Torah, automatically you are higher than the king, higher than the Kohen Gadol, higher than anyone, the prime minister, the president, the head of the FBI, they're all like mud compared to you. Why? Because Hashem said, Hashem said, your crown is greater than them, and Hashem is faithful to pay your reward. We're starting the fifth Mishnah. This is exactly what I just said. Gdola Torah yoter mina keuna mina malchut. There are three different glories. What's, how do you gain glory? To become an important Kohen, they dress you with this beautiful outfit, Choshen, special hat, you know, special things, gold, everybody sees you, it's very nice. Who do you think those pop with all their parades there in the Vatican are trying to imitate? They tried to imitate what used to be in the Bet HaMikdash, what do you think? They learn, they read the same thing what we read, and they try to pretend that they are the same. You understand the point or no? But, the Torah says like this, there are crown of the Kohanim, there's a crown of the king. Three glorious things. Torah, Keuna, Malchut. Gdola, Torah, Yoter, Mina, Keuna, Mina, Malchut. Torah is greater than Kohanim, and greater from the kingdom. Why? The Torah is bought with 30 advantages. There are 30 things that get you, you need to go until you gain Torah knowledge. To be a Kohen, 24. I'm sorry. The, to become a king, 30 advantages you need. A Kohen, 24. And Torah, 48. 48. So it's the highest thing. What is it? Talmud. Efforts. Shmiat ha'ozen. Paying attention to every word. Cannot miss any word. If you miss in a shiur one word, sometimes you get the whole thing opposite. Yeah? No, we're not talking about here that we're jumping from one subject to another. So if you miss one Mishnah, you still have four. It's a different story. If a Rav gives a shiur in a Gemara in Yeshiva, it's like building a building. If one thing you didn't understand, you don't understand the rest of the shiur. It's like a complicated movie, Leavdil. If, if you turn your face for, for 10, 10, 10, 10 seconds from the screen, and few things were said, then you, you may get the whole picture wrong. Why? It's very complicated. It's all connected. So, you have to listen to every word. Arichat Tzvatayim, you have to continue to repeat it 101 times if you want to remember it for good. 101 times is not like 100 times. 100 times, there's still a chance that after a few years, 10, 20, 30 years, you'll forget it. If you learn 101 times, there's no chance to forget. That's it. You have it for eternity. Bebinat Alev, what does it mean, Bebinat Alev? That you have to go deep as, far, as, as much as possible, not just briefly. Like sometimes I ask the kids, did you learn? Yeah, I finished. <laughs> ask them one question, they don't even know where you are. <laughs> sometimes in yeshiva like this, a person can be 10 years in yeshiva, he learns. Then you, ask him, you tell him, explain me that Tosfot. In a Gemara, Tosfot asks a question and answer an answer. What's the question? 
So the answer, like, like they say no, in Hebrew, פחות או יותר, more or less, you know, more or less, more or less, decide. It's not the same, more or less. If it's more, it's good, if it's less, it's not good. So he tells you roughly, roughly, 10-20% he got, the rest I have no idea what's going on. So what happened to students like this? They don't want to waste all day, so they go, they move, they continue. I know my cousin, when he learns, he never gets up from the page until he understands it perfect, 100%. So one time he said something in his shiur, in his lecture to his student in a yeshiva. So one of them said, how do you know? So he lost his uh, patience for a second. So he told him, tell me, I want to ask you a question. Did you ever stand with your feet, not sit, stand, eight hours straight on four words in Rabbi Akiva Iger until you understood it or not? As the commentators on the Torah, they speak in a very, very sophisticated way. Very, very deep, sophisticated, and very short. One of the reasons they speak in such language, it's all like codes. Like you have to kill your head to try to understand what they want. Because they speak in such a short way, instead of writing five sentences, they write a word and a half. And you have to understand what they meant. Two words is the question, three words is the answer. No, go and, and read their mind now. For one reason is, when they wrote the commentaries, they wrote it for themselves. So it's only like a reminder. So when, one day when I go and go over my notebook, that's enough for me to get the point. I just write the most important words, and I will know later to connect between them. That's one reason. Second reason is, they didn't have cheap paper like we have. Today, the papers are processed. It's from the trees. From the trees, they make paper. What, what pages they had? Leather, like in a Sefer Torah. It's very expensive, the cloth. Right? The parch, parchment, what's, what do you call it? Pa- parchments, parchments. So parchments is very expensive. What do you think? Until they remove the hair of the cow, they process it in a, in a, in a lime, and they remove the hair, and they make it straight. Ooh, it's a whole world. And then finally you have a feather, you have to write. So the, since there wasn't enough, so they had to write very small and very, very short. Mm. Plus, also, that they were genius. It's like a computer. They get it. The Vilna Gaon, they found one of his books. The entire book is abbreviations. For instance, he wanted to write five words. He wrote five letters. Five letters. And now you have to understand what those five letters mean. Then he goes to the next row, seven letters. That's the next row. <laughs> right? To save room. For years, they're killing themselves to try to understand. Every few words, abbreviation, seven words, three words, five words. No, go and try to understand what it is. They kill themselves again and, and more people and more until finally they understood most of it. You understand? So my cousin was telling him, there's four words in Rabbi Akiva Iger. In the end of the Gemara, I wrote a comment on this page. A few days ago, I was standing eight hours like this, eight hours without breakfast, without lunch, without... Eight hours just to understand those four words. Why? Because when I learn, I learn. I don't skip. Today, the students, 99.9%. They learn a little bit. 10, 20 minutes, they see, they stuck. Okay, let's move on. Like this, you'll never be a Talmud. If you jump, it's difficult. I can't. It's hard. I play Game Boy all day. How does he want to learn? The kids have all these colors and music. 
Now you put them to sweat? A person that learns Gemara, smoke has to come out of his ears. You know, like when you burn an engine, if you have an engine and you press full gas, you feel that your car is going on fire. Why? Because the engine is working very hard. If your brain works very hard, it's much harder than carry heavy weight on your, head, on your back all day. Because the brain makes the body much more tired than physical work. Sometimes people say, ah, this guy is learning yeshiva. What do they do all day? Bring them for 10 minutes to the yeshiva and see how they fall asleep. Af, even they woke up at 12 in the afternoon, 12 or 5 they already sleep. What happened? 5 minutes in the Gemara, they fall asleep. A lawyer, a doctor, a judge, I'm telling you from experience. So, Binat Alev means dig with all your wisdom. Sikhlut Alev. Paying attention to all the small details. Emma, fear, when you learn, it's not history or math. Math you can learn with your cigarette or with your pipe or eating your sandwich while you're learning math. You learn Torah, you have to feel like you're sitting in front of Hashem and Hashem is answering and, ask, and asking you questions. With Emma, Anava, down to earth. If you have big ego, you'll never be a Talmid Chacham, a good scholar. Ego destroyed everything in life, definitely the learning. With happiness, not with depression. Rabbi, I'm not in a mood today. What happened? I lost $100 yesterday. I can learn. Shimush uh, Chachamim. Not only you respect Chachamim, the sages, the big rabbis, you are helping them, you attach yourself to them. Rabbi, what, what do you need? You need help? I have a few guys, every day they call. Do you, need me, do you need me to do something? You need me to do something? Can I help you with a computer? Can I help you with this? Why they do it? Because they want to, to make these words of this Mishnah. It's not the same when you learn Torah from the books or when you attach to somebody who lives like the books. Which means, if you want to be a doctor, and you go to the best medical school, and you learn all the medical books by heart, but you never worked, you never did, made your stage anywhere in a hospital or by a doctor, you only know from the books. Can you operate on a patient? You kill him for sure. For sure! You become a hitman, not a doctor. You call you on a... <laughs> Somebody like me, that never went to medical school, I can be two, three months with a doctor in a surgery room, and I'll be able to make an operation. Not only me, each one of you. If you're a little bit talented with your hands and you get the point, you'll be able to make surgeries. Do you know that many doctors in America and in Israel and in other countries, they live in the middle of the surgery room and they let the nurse do some of the things that they're not supposed to? Once in a while you hear about it because something went wrong. But 99% of the time, nothing goes wrong. The doctor goes, he smokes, he speaks on the phone, he comes back after two hours, the operation is done. Why? My assistant did it for hundreds of times with me. Slowly, slowly, every day, he makes another minute of the surgery. So here, do here, cut here. That's how it is. I, when I was in Canada, there was one dentist over there. So I went, I went to his office, we put mezuzot there. So he told me, three months you're with me here in the office, you know exactly to do what I know how to do. Everything, to pull teeth, root canal, whatever, in three months I teach you everything. No? What do you think? And that's what I've been saying for always. All these school things is all waste of time. 
The real, way, the real way to learn is to attach you to somebody who knows the job. You're being attached to him, and then you come to a test. They see that you know what you're doing, and they have to give you a diploma, and that's it. But they want you to go to college for six, seven years, because the government needs billions of dollars, you know. They need money, and the colleges need money. It's all a corrupted system to get all the money from the people. That's why they are the richest institution. Every college don't even know how much money they have, you know. And that's why... It's amazing because just with Madoff, some colleges lost hundreds of millions of dollars. And I wonder to myself, if they were able to lose more than a hundred million dollars each by Madoff, just imagine how much they have. But with tuition, no discount. Apply here, apply there, try there, go to your uncle, speak to Obama, maybe he'll send you something. <laughs> no, no discounts. All right, anyway, so... Shimush Chachami means... When you are attached yourself to a person, you become like him. You be, for good and for bad. If he's a criminal, a month later you'll also be a murderer. Because you attach yourself to him. The first time you saw him killing someone, you got nervous. Second time you got nervous. Third time you got Fourth time you begin to like it. Oh, what a nice way to make money. Mm. You understand? So, Bedikduk Haverim. What does it mean, Dikduk Haverim? You have to be careful who you're learning with. Who are your friends that you sit and learn with? People who like to talk about ha and da. They have a lot of uh, interesting things to say while you're learning, or they're serious. When you learn, you don't talk anything besides Torah. Sometimes you have people in Yeshiva, as soon as they sit to learn, they learn 10 minutes, they begin. Oh, you, should, you know what happened yesterday? I was driving here. All of a sudden, you find yourself from eight or ten hours that you were sitting in yeshiva, maybe an hour and a half you learn today. What happened to the rest of the time? You cheer him up for his depression, for his Shlom Bayit problems. The election in Israel took place, so you wanted to know who is the new prime minister, and who lost, and, and, and what happened here, and what time they will say. And then, the end of the day, what did you learn today? One page. Why? Your chevruta is not serious, so he dragged you down. Dikduk haverim. Pilpul talmidim. Pilpul talmidim means questions and answers. Don't be shy. Ah, attack. Attack and also know what to answer. To sharp your brain. Be'yishuv mikra. What does it mean, be'yishuv mikra? That when you learn, you're not busy with anything else in the middle. You meyushav. <coughs> you focus. Mi'ut shena. You sleep very little, very little. Rabbi, I can't think today. Why? I only slept 10 hours last night. Usually I sleep 14 hours, but you know, today the neighbor made noise. So it's hard for me. What can I do? I need to sleep 10 hours. Every minute that you sleep longer than 6 hours makes you more tired. Remember this. Up to six hours, your brain settles, all the information recorded in the subconscious, everything is fine, you got it. The more you sleep, the more heavy your head becomes. You see? Sleep 10, 12 hours one time, and when you get up, you see that you can hardly open your eyes. It's all burning, you need cold water, an hour later, you need another cup of coffee, you have headache, you need to Advil, 10, 15 minutes to get dressed. You know? Some people, when they want to wake up their kids to the shul, if the davening is at 7 in the morning, they have to wake them up at 4. Why? It takes them three hours to put a pair of pants, a shirt, 
to shoes and socks. Why? 45 minutes to find a shirt. Even though you told him for 1,500 times, prepare the shirt before you fall asleep, because yeah, five in the morning it's hard to look for search, to search for a shirt, but it will never help. Then the pants, he cannot find his belt, he doesn't want his pants. No, what are you going to do? You have to find him a new place. So this is Effendi, uh, he's going to come with his pants. It's not comfortable. Sucks. What's going on? No, he wants these shoes. I don't like these shoes. Where are you going? To a fashion show? You're going to the shul to Daven. I don't like these shoes. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, it's not you. Yeah, it's good, it's good. Five minutes, is ready. Five minutes, downstairs already. So, so we continue. Mi'ut sicha. Don't talk too much nonsense. Beautiful weather today, Rabbi. It was a hot, hot summer. The hottest summer in history, you know. All over the world, in Israel, in America, the hottest summer in a history. When was the last hottest summer, the record? 1998, 13 years ago. So every 10, 13 years, we're going another step closer to Mashiach. Because what's going to happen? Akash Baruch will take the sun out of the cover. You know, we're getting closer there. Mi'ut ta'anug. Running away from pleasure. No cream cake for dessert? I knew I shouldn't come to this restaurant. <laughs> Don't look for pleasure. Pleasure, pleasure. It's not a sin to enjoy. Don't get me wrong. Because you see that Hashem made the world with lots of pleasures. But to run after the pleasure, it's already a crime. To run. Addiction. I'm addicted. No, I don't like these cigarettes. I only like Marlboro. Not only you kill yourself, you care with what sword you kill yourself. What's the difference? If you kill yourself with a silver sword or with a gold sword. sword. So, uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Too much pleasures. Mi'utzchok. Don't be a comedian. No, Hashem doesn't like comedians and clowns. He likes serious people. Serious. Every second thing, a joke. <laughs> the old days, like looking to laugh. You know, I, have, I know somebody in Israel, when I was young, before I became 20, his habit was to laugh at people. That's his pleasure. When do you find a lot of people that you can find some people to laugh at? In the weddings. So when the family or somebody has a big wedding, or bar mitzvah, whatever, then hundreds of people gathered. So him and another young guy, this guy is like in his 40s, and the second guy, not even 18, 17, they sit together, they drink a little bit, and now they're in a good mood. A clown that drinks is an atomic bomb. Before he drinks, is a conventional bomb. <laughs> After he drinks, it's already... So now they drink a few cups. Now they're looking to hunt. What? A funny head a funny body, a funny person, whatever, they go around. And I'm not telling you a story, it's really happened. But how it happened with Ashtabach Shemo HaKashbach who sometimes show you Musar in front of your eyes. So this guy is calling him, this, the, the young guy's name is Yair, the older guy's name is Danny. 
So Danny is sitting in a table and Yair is going on a search. Then he comes, he says, Danny, you're not going to believe what I found. This guy woke up. What? The ugliest guy in the world. Fat. Cross eye. Head is crooked. No hair. Scar on his nose. You look at this guy. You have enough material to laugh for here. This guy jumped like a, like a soldier. Where? Where? <laughs> I'm sitting not far and I see this whole thing. So they run. <laughs> then they go, he says, here, right there, make a right. He makes a right, he shows him the guy. He looks at him and he says, you idiot, that's my father. <laughs> ah, he didn't know that it's his father, that older person. So Akadosh Baruch Hu killed two birds with one stone. That guy got a shame for making fun of his father, and he got what he deserved. Do you think it opened their eyes to stop doing what they do? No. Two minutes later, they look to search for somebody else. They don't get the point. Not jokes, comedies, this, enough with this. Mi'ut derech eretz. What does it mean, mi'ut derech eretz? Business. Too, ma- too many hours at work. All kinds of things like this. You know, uh, he's busy here, volunteering in a hospital, going to watch the dead bodies, volunteer to give uh, food to the poor people, and he's thinking, I'm the most righteous person in the world. For ordinary people who don't learn Torah, of course, it's very important to do these things. But somebody who wants to be a giant scholar, don't have time for this. It's like burning a dollar to make a penny. Going to wash a dead body, it's a nice mitzvah. But it takes an hour. In this hour, you can do 60,000 mitzvot of learning Torah. What do you compare? Right? Uh, giving uh, food to a poor family for Shabbat, very nice mitzvah. You drive with your car, you take, the ca- you take the box, you put it by the door, you knock, you run back to the car, you go back to your home. Half an hour. Very nice. They have what to eat. And plus, it costs you maybe 100 or 200 bucks. Very nice. Not for somebody who wants to be giant. There's no time for this. Sometimes the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, the Satan, is fooling us by offering us a replacement mitzvah. Remember, for the secular people, they're not interested to do mitzvot. So you just drag them into hell easily. Why? They're busy with doing all kinds of crimes all day. Eating pork, this, you know, Shabbat, Mechalilim, driving... So he's trying to get them to the war scene. But people who want to make mitzvot, they don't want to make scenes. So it's very difficult if a person is on the way to learn. His friend is waiting in a shul. They set up 2 o'clock until 4, they sit and learn. How is the Satan going to make him not learn? He's already on the way with the Gemara in his hand. What's going to happen? A pregnant woman screams from the window, Moshe, do you have five minutes for me? What? I need to go give birth and my husband is not home. Can you give me a ride to the hospital? Of course, come, let me help you. You have a bag. He runs, he's excited, he goes to the hospital. Three hours, mazal tov. He comes back home, he lost two hours of learning Torah. He made one mitzvah, lost 120,000. Satan is smoking his cigar, happy, what a fool. That's exactly how it works. It's getting better. Two people who sit and learn Torah. One is facing the street, one is facing the room. 
the one who's facing the street, see if there's an emergency, he's the first one to see. So the Gemara brings an example, he saw uh, somebody is drowning in a lake. So the one with the back cannot see, his back is to the window. But the one with his face to the window, he saw somebody screaming, so he got up, he closed the Gemara, he ran, he jumped into the lake and he saved the life of a person. If you ask people, what do you think, who got luckier today? Who made a bigger mitzvah? Everybody will say, this guy got to save a life. Wow. What an achievement. How lucky you are. Wow, I'm jealous. But in reality, he got punished. He had to do what he had to do. That's the rule. He had to go and save him or her. But in reality, he lost. Because if he would continue for another 10 minutes to sit and learn Torah, he would earn a lot more than doing what he did. Because Torah is the highest level. Torah and saving souls, the highest two things. Everything else, it's like a mud compared to a diamond. Anything else, anything. Helping the shul, opening a shul, helping here, helping the poor. All these beautiful things that everybody runs after, buying aliyot, donating Sefer Torah every week, Achnasat Sefer Torah. It's like a mud compared to a diamond, compared to saving souls and supporting directly learning of Torah. Those, those two are the highest things, with the highest profit. But saving souls is even greater than Torah. Why? Torah, you benefit as long as they learn. You support them for one hour, you have whatever mitzvot that he learned, it goes to you also. But once he closed the book, it's over. Saving souls, it's an investment for eternity. Why? It's like a snowball. All you have to do is make one guy religious. Two, it's even better. It's like two pyramids. So he, every mitzvah he's going to do ever for the rest of his life goes to you. And his children and grandchildren and grand, grand, grandchildren until the end of the world. And not only that, if he will make somebody religious, then whatever that person does also goes to your account. And if both of them got married and have ten children each, so now you have 22 soldiers who provides you profit. And, a, and, a, and a five years later, it can be a thousand people. You know, on my way here, I listened to a tape of Rav Levinstein. So he, he told a story. What's the story? The story is, one guy is working in a big factory in Israel. The size of the factory is bigger than Home Depot. Very big place, big fires, chimneys. One of these big factories in Israel. So they used to pray Mincha. There's a lot of religious people working there, at least 30, 40 workers. So at lunch break, they have enough time to eat and to go pray 15 minutes Mincha. In a summer, Mincha, you cannot pray too early, so the lunch time falls too short. So they have to pray Mincha in the evening when they finish to work. So they eat now, so now they had 20 minutes extra. So they say, one guy asked his friend, what are you doing these 20 minutes that we're not davening now? He said, I'm sitting and learning Mishnayot. I have my Mishnayot book. 20 minutes a day I learn Mishnayot. So he said, why don't we learn together? He said, okay, but you know, I work in one side of the factory in, and you work all the way in the end. So he said, okay, no problem. We'll meet right in the middle. We'll meet in the middle in that room. It's right in the middle. Okay. So now they come, they learn in the middle. They sit outside on a bench and learn. So another religious guy walked by, said, what are you doing? He said, we're learning every day, 20 minutes. Can I join you? Yeah. Slowly, slowly, they had already 20 people after a week. Everyone who passed by. Now, when the not religious people see religious people learn Torah, those with a good heart wake up. 
wow, interesting, I heard it, he stands over there five minutes, he hears something nice, tomorrow he heard another thing. So they started to join also. They put a kippah, they sit and learn. They're not religious people. That's the story. Few years later, this one, one of these workers, the one who started that, the first one who was learning, he retired already, and he went to some wedding or something, and then he see a guy comes and say, oh, nice, how are you? I missed you. He looks at him, he didn't recognize him. I'm sorry, forgive me, I don't remember you. He said, oh, you probably don't recognize me with a beard and this. He said, yeah, yeah, you look familiar, who are you? So I used to learn with you Mish- Mishnayot. You used to work together in the same factory. He said, ah, yeah. He said, but, but the good thing is that I wasn't even religious. And I joined you and you were teaching us Mishnayot. You were the teacher. And then I, may, I became religious. I made my wife religious. And all my kids are young, so they all now be religious. So my whole family is religious, thanks to your Shiur Mishnayot. This guy is the lucky 